Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. God. He's God everywhere. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 12 and 13. We are going to look at some of the broader context. We're not going to have time to deal with all of it. But we want to see this passage and what it's trying to explain to us about the Word of God and how it is applied to our hearts. Amen. We live in a day and age that there has never been more access to the Word of God than there is right now. Never been more access to the Word of God. You can have the Word of God on your phone, on a tablet. You can listen to it on Christian television networks. You can have hard copy Bibles. Uh, We have scriptures made and sold at Walmart that we put up on our walls. I mean, the Word of God is accessible everywhere, and yet... There is, as there was in the time of the prophets, in the time of the Old Testament, a famine, not of bread, but of the Word of the living God. And generations before us would have coveted to have the access, not only to the Word of God, but to the ability, the tools to give you the ability to understand the Word of God that we have today. Commentaries, word studies, dictionaries, Bible apps that just give us unlimited access to Bible study. You want to study a subject in the Bible? There is an app to show you how to study joy in the Bible. You can study faith in the Bible. You can study Jesus in the Bible. You can study the virgin birth. Any doctrine that you want to imagine, you can find a study that will help you to understand it. And yet, in this saturated day, there is still ignorance of the Word of God. And I think that we have become spoiled to it. We forget how important it is. And at the same time, we've gotten this incredible access to the Bible and all of this other information. We've also gotten unlimited access to every other kind of information. Right? I wonder how many of you, 50 and 60 years ago, were consumed with wondering what was happening in Washington what was happening in another state, what was happening around the world, what was happening with oil in the Middle East, what was happening with all of these other issues. And you can watch the news 12 hours a day, 365 days a year, and still feel like you don't know enough about what's happening. Inundated with information. And so there is access to the Word of God, but there are so many things competing for your attention away from the Word of God. Amen? How many of us have said... We just don't have time to study the Bible, but if we would go to our iPhones and look at the amount of time that we spend on each individual things, it would tell us that we are liars. Amen? 
we, social media, five minutes here, five minutes there, right? Add up to 30 minutes a day. What would happen if we put our nose in this book for 30 minutes a day? And so I don't say any of that to shame you or condemn you, but to show you that there's a problem. And then as we go to the Word of God and see how beautiful it is, maybe it'll make a hunger in your heart for what God offers you. Amen? This is what the Word of the Lord offers you. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Amen? And so the end of this passage is is reminding us that there will be a day that we will give an account to God for the life that is lived. And there ought to be a weightiness to that. There ought to be a thinking every single day in every decision that I will give an account to God for the words that come out of my mouth. Amen? How many words? Jesus said, every idle word. The idle words, right? I-D-L-E. The idle words, right? The, the ones that don't seem weighty or an important thing. The ones that are passing comments and passing thoughts. The words that flow the most naturally, right? There are words that we realize are weighty and difficult and this could cause a fight and this could cause a break in a relationship or this could do something terrible and I need to be careful and calculated with these words. But often those words are not revealing what's in the heart because what's in your heart and what you say is different things. Because you believe, think, and feel one way, but you've got to say something else to avoid the consequences of what's really in your heart. But those idle words are the words that you don't think about and you don't process, like complaining words. We complain easily, don't we? Quickly, fast, no effort, right? Discouraged words. Those idle words. And so we are going to give an account to God. We must give an account. And that ought to weigh on us. It ought to weigh on our words, it ought to weigh on our actions, it ought to weigh on our attitudes and our thoughts. And then the issue is how how do I know that I live in a way that when I face Him on Judgment Day, I won't be ashamed. And I won't, as John says in First John, have a reason to shrink back. Right? That there will be those who see the Lord and not will humbly fall down before Him. That's all of us. Right? We're going to do what John did. Revelation, we're going to see Him and we're going to fall down like dead man. We're like, wow, that is holiness beyond all imagination. I'm humbled in the presence of God. But John says that there are those who will have a reason to withdraw from him, to shrink from him at his coming. And we don't want to live that way. We want to live in a way that when we give an account to God, we will know that by the grace of God, my works were done in God. Amen? That I'm imperfect, but my works were for the Lord. I'm standing before the Lord with a clear conscience, knowing that I've served Him, and I will hear 
well done, and faith, well done, good and faithful servant. How do I do that? By allowing the Word to accomplish His intended purposes in our life. What is this intended purpose? We must first deal with the fact that in this section of the letter, the writer to the book of Hebrews is addressing the tendency, the temptation of these Jews probably in Jerusalem who are being persecuted and are struggling and their faith is costing them a great many things and making life very hard and they are tempted to walk away. They're tempted to balk. They're tempted to give up their opportunity to walk with the Lord and just go an easier way. They're just tired, they're weary, they're hurting, they're confused, and they're tempted to go in a wrong direction. And so he stands, he says to them in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. There's a promise that God wants us to have, and if we don't walk with intentional faith and follow God, even when it's difficult, we will fail to have what God wants for us. And we don't want to fail to reach it. He says, verse 2, For good news came to us just as to them. Who is the them? It is to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. That's who he's talking about, right? That's the them. The, the Jews, the Israelites walking in the wilderness that didn't have faith and didn't trust God. He says, good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Moses, Joshua, Caleb, those who heard the Word of God and saw all of the reasons not to believe the Word of God and they said, we will believe the Word of God anyway. And all of these people said, we don't want to believe the Word of God. We're frustrated, we're disappointed, we have a hard time believing that this is true. And so he says in verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For as he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, saying, Today, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts." And so this is a quote from the Psalms where David says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts so that you can enter God's rest. All right. So there are two historical events that the author of Hebrews is referring to. There is first the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. God gave them a word. You can enter the promised land. You'll have wells you didn't dig, houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. I'll drive your enemies out before you. I'll destroy the enemies behind the walled cities. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. Just enter into the promised land and I will be with you. 
And they refused. They said, no, this looks too hard. I cannot believe that it is true. I am fearful that if I try to go God's way, that terrible things will happen and God won't come through. And so I'm not going to believe. And I'm not going to obey, right? In the book of Hebrews, faith and obedience are synonymous. Amen? Because you can't say that you believe God, but you don't walk with him. Amen? So we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone, right? Right? So if you really believe God, you'll obey him. You'll do what he says. And he says, so they didn't enter into that rest. God says, the promised land is my rest. And I want you to enter in to that rest. And so this is another reference to the seventh day of creation where God spent six days working and on the seventh day he rested. God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was done. And so he says, listen, all of your striving, working, laboring, you've been slaves in Egypt, laboring, laboring, laboring. And I'm saying, hey, I'm going to invite you in to rest. You come into the promised land. You don't have to be anxious, wearisome, worrisome, fearful. You don't have to be overwhelmed. You can just trust me and say, I'm where God wants me to be. I'm walking with God. I'm depending on his promises and God will work things out for me. And so I can rest. Amen? That's what the Sabbath is meant to remind us of. Not that God has this mean command that you can't work on the seventh day. This, this, the Sabbath command was a blessing. You can stop working one day a week because I don't stop working. Amen? Enter into my rest. Come find rest. Stop wearing yourself out. And so when they refuse to trust God and refuse to obey God, God says, I swear you will not enter my rest. You won't trust me and you won't obey me, so no rest. So instead of entering the promised land, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years. And rather than resting, what does it say? And their carcasses fell in the wilderness, right? Felt, not that they finally found rest. The idea is, this is the biblical imagery. You won't enter into my rest where you can go to a place, sit, call home, and say, ah, rest. Then you will continue walking, and as you're walking, you will walk until you collapse. You're going to walk to death. Like when you go to Costco or the mall. And so he says, I've got this rest for you, but because you won't believe me and you won't obey me, you don't get the rest. And then David uses this idea and says, they didn't get to enter into rest. And so he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, have faith, obey, enter into the rest. So this is the application The author of Hebrews is interpreting the way that David understands this commandment from Moses' time. And he's saying the voice that spoke those, what would that be? About 900 to 1,000 years later, about 900 to 1,000 years between Moses and David. He's saying that voice that cried out, enter my rest. He's saying today, God's still saying, 
Enter my rest. Can you hear the word of the Lord that is alive and active and speaking and relevant right now? He's saying we're in the promised land. We are in the place that God calls his rest. But are we really trusting God? Are we really obeying God? And are we therefore really resting? And so he says to his current people, calling on the word of the Lord from nearly a from nearly a thousand years before, and saying, God's still speaking. Can you hear him? And if you hear him, are you having faith and are you obeying? Are you entering his rest? And he says, there's still a rest for us. Now Christ has accomplished for us a better rest. Amen? Because Jesus has died on the cross, fulfilling the law, and said, it is is finished. And so I finished the work. It is all done. And come and rest in Him. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen? And so the point is not that you don't work. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. There is a work to be done, but it's a work dependent on your faith in Christ. Where His energy, His strength is the one that accomplishes while you trust and obey. Amen? It takes the pressure off of you from being able to do everything you need to do to you just saying, Lord, I'm willing to trust you and obey you, and I don't think I can make it work, but you can make it work, right? I can give feeble efforts to the mighty God, and you will take feeble efforts and do eternal kingdom work. And so he gives these warnings. He gives these warnings, and then he says in verse 11, he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Notice he uses the word fall. This passage is the same one where it talks about their carcasses fell in the wilderness. And he's saying, I know that I have seen believers and you right now, Israelites, Jews in Jerusalem who have been trying to walk this faith in Christ for nearly 30 years. And you are weary and you are tired and you are hurting and you are tempted to give up. You are tempted to fall and not have faith and to stop obeying. And so he says, even now, Strive to enter the rest. Strive to walk with God. To trust Him and to believe His promises. But how can I know if I'm entering that rest? Because if you know the story, you know that the people who were going to enter the promised land and couldn't, when God said, fine, you won't obey me, you won't trust me, you won't go into the promised land, then you can't enter. And they're confused. Why? Right? And then there's a group of people that say, no, we're going to enter the promised land, and they try to go and fight and enter the promised land, and all of them die, and it's a terrible thing, and they're presuming on the grace of God, right? And so they couldn't understand. They couldn't discern their own heart. They thought God was being unfair. Ever felt like that in the Christian life? Think your heart's right, but God's not keeping up his end of the bargain? No, not you. You're super saved. You're super saint. You, know, you always believe God, don't you? 
you always believe God. Every time there's a conviction in your heart that something's right, but it's really difficult, you always say, but God will make a way if I trust and obey. Don't you? How can we know if we've entered the rest? How can we know if we're walking with God? How can we know if we're trusting in Him? How can we know if we're doing what God wants us to do? It's often confusing, isn't it? How many Christians have over and over and over again said, am I in the will of God? Am I doing what God wants me to do? I don't understand my circumstances. I don't understand what I'm going through. Did I do something to make this happen? Should I be doing something different? Should I be doing nothing at all? Is this the will of God? The problem is our heart. Amen? You can think circumstances are confusing, but nothing is ever as confusing as your own heart. Amen? Nothing is ever as confusing as your own heart. And so what are we to do? Verse 12. He says, For the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is able to discern you. This is the point where you can be saying, I don't know if I'm trusting. I don't know if I'm believing. I don't know if I'm obeying. I don't know if I'm doing what I should do. How can I know? How can I know if I'm walking with God when I'm weary and tired and want to quit? Can I know, Lord, is this just a wise decision that I'm doing too much and I need to stop doing what I'm doing? Or, Lord, am I just wanting to bail? How do you know if you can't discern your own heart, right? And nothing can lie to you better than your own heart. My heart is a professional liar. It should be a lawyer. I'm telling you, it should have its faces on bus stops and billboards. Trot's heart, attorney at law, able to lie and get you out of, like, it can, it can justify me in anything, right? And I, when I want to quit and give up and do different things, right? Just whatever, whatever it is. Only the Lord can interpret my heart. Amen? And I tell you, other people can think that they can interpret your heart and judge you. I've given up on that. Amen. I've given up on trying to interpret people's hearts. Only God can know that. Amen. What does it say? The Word of God is able to do it. What is it? The Word of God is these things. It is living, living, and and in this way, it's not outdated. The Word of God wasn't alive in Moses' day to say, enter into my rest. It wasn't living only in Moses' day to say, you don't believe me? You're not going to enter my rest. It was not only living in that day to confront the heart. It is living today. The Word of God is always relevant. It is always able to deal with our heart. The Word of God is always speaking. Amen? It is always speaking. It is always communicating to us. It will always be reading us. Amen? It's relevant today. Just as much as David could say, we're in a different time, different place, circumstances are changed, but that word that God spoke through Moses is still speaking to us today. Can you hear it? 
And the author of Hebrews can say that word that David quoted, that Moses gave, it's still speaking today. Do you hear his voice? And 2,000 years later, we're sitting in a church trying to walk with God and our hearts are confused, disoriented, going through all kinds of different things. What do we do? The Word is alive right now. It's speaking today. It's dealing with us today. The Word of God is active. It is living, living, and it is active. In other words, it's working. It's always doing something. The Word of God is not lacking in ability to do something in your heart. The Word of God has not quit its job. The Word of God has not stopped doing what it's supposed to do. Amen? The Word of God is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. What does this mean? He gives an example of what it means. What is the meaning of it being sharper? He says that it's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ever cleaned an animal? Right? Or shot a deer? Deboned something, or maybe you bought it at the store and you had to take it home, deal with the tendons that are still attached, the bones that are still attached. And sometimes it's hard to tell if you're cutting into the meat or you're destroying the meat or you're doing it the right way. And the point is that it's sharp and it's able to get right down in the middle and to cut away perfectly. It's not dull, it's not unable to cut, right? And it's not unable to get into the nooks and the crannies. The Word of God is able to get into the very interior of your heart and deal with it exactly as it is. Amen? It's able to discern you when you can't discern you. Amen? When you cannot discern your own heart, the Word of God is able to discern your heart. Amen? And so notice that he says, between soul and spirit. I've done countless studies when I've come to different passages that talks about our soul, when it talks about our spirit. And there are times where I still go, what's the difference between the soul and the spirit? Right? What, what role does the soul and the spirit play in my life? Can I discern? Can I, can I understand this is how my soul is responding? This is how my spirit is responding? Then not even just soul and spirit, but your mind. Right? Often you're conflicted in yourself. Right? Just like the psalmist would say, oh, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in God. The psalmist is saying, mentally, I think God is trustworthy. God is able to be depended on. I should put my hope in God. And my heart's going, ah, I don't care. Right? And so there's a conflict between the two. Right? And so you feel like there's multiple people in your head. You, Right? How many of us hear about schizophrenia and we go, those that's crazy to think that someone could hear different voices in their head. And then you can have a conversation with yourself about how those people are nuts. I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> and you can't even discern your own heart, right? Sounds like a political debate going on in there. Like, oh my goodness. Your, your heart ever sound like the 2016 presidential debate? Has there ever been a more awful debacle 
that has ever happened before the eyes and the ears of men than that debate. And sometimes your heart sounds just like that, doesn't it? Petty, argumentative, contradictory, can't make up its mind one way or the other. I mean, Lord, have mercy. And your heart just conflicted. Telling you one thing one moment, one thing the next moment. Amen. My heart's so fickle. Half the time, I don't know what I think. What do you think? I don't know. And he says that the Word of God is able to discern it. It is able to discern it. It is able to cut right through all of the confusion and to interpret you exactly as you are. Amen? And then he says this in verse 13. And he says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Naked and exposed. There's no, there's no pretense with God. There's no garment of hypocrisy. We can't pretend to be one thing on the outside and put on a garment on the outside that looks one way and then on the inside be completely different and God be confused or deceived by it. Amen? We're naked. We are what we are before God completely with no lie. With no shading, no changing, nothing. And so this is what the Word of God does. This is what the Word of God is. It is relevant today because it is living. It can work in your heart constantly because it is active. It can pierce through your heart and all of the confusion and tell you what you really are because it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it is discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And you cannot pretend or lie to God and His Word about who you are because you are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him that spoke that Word. And so, read the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Store up the Word of God in your heart so that not only you can read the Word, but so that the Word can read you. Amen? So that the Word can read you. That's the point. We read the Word. We hear the Word. We study the Word. We try to understand the Word. But not just because it's pious or it's good religious activity. We study the Word so that the Word can read us. Amen? We get to the real meaning. What was God saying? And if that's what God was saying and that's what God says is true, then what does that mean for me? Amen? What does that mean for me? What does that say about my heart, about who I am, about what I think, what my intentions are, what my attitude is. Amen? Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You can say that your thoughts or your intentions are one thing, but God knows your heart. Amen? I've told you this before, but It's just the easiest thing for me to point to as a reference. Just my ability to have self-pity on myself, right? When I'm going through something, I don't need anybody to pity me or feel sorry for me. I can do it plenty on my own, right? I don't need anybody. Thinking about you, trust me, I'm thinking about me, right? (laughs) We're wishing you well. Oh, I'm wishing me well. You can believe that, right? (laughs) Right? You're going through so much. Oh, I know. 
I know that I'm going through so much. It's awful, isn't it? And I can say things that sound very spiritual because I've been to Bible college, right? Memorized scripture, preached, and I can make it sound so holy and so spiritual. And really what I'm doing is complaining. Really what I'm doing is fishing for pity, right? I'm just being honest with you. I mean, if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. There are other pastors that will lie to you and put themselves up on a pedestal. But when people fall off pedestals, it hurts. Amen? I'd rather not fall. So <laughs> I'm too big to fall that far. And I can put all of that spiritual language. But when that Word of God that's been stored up in my heart begins to really stir around and get active and you meditate on the Word and you pray and you seek the Lord and you read the Word, it just will not let you lie. It will not let you pretend. You will have to fight it. You will have to fight. You will have to push that word down and pretend that it's not there and pretend that those thoughts are not being interpreted by the Lord. It will read you like a book. And it will remind you that you will have to give an account to the Lord. And there's no time to play games with God. So the beginning of this passage tells us that God gives a word that some people do not hear and believe and it is therefore unfruitful in their life. And then he tells these people that they can be tempted to not believe it and not obey it and not have the fruit of it in their life. And so they must have the word of God discern their heart and tell them if their heart is wrong so that they can change. And then the last thought is this. When the word reads you, When the Word discerns you and exposes these awful things and it cuts you and reveals the cancer of unbelief, of pride, of vanity, of weakness and brokenness and hurt and confusion and all of these reasons reasons to be terrified and afraid and say, oh no, these things are in my heart and I've got to give an account to God. What am I going to do? The next word says in verse 14, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Word of God is not exposing you so that it can tell you how terrible you are and then throw you away. It is exposing you so that you will see your need for the great high priest who has done something about your sin through his own sacrifice of his own self and his own blood. And he appeals to you, come to the mercies of the Lord. Find mercy. Come to grace and help receive it in time of need. And I will be gracious. I will be merciful. I will be understanding of your weakness. Amen? And so this is the hope for us. Why do we come to Jesus? Why do we have altar calls? Why do we have time after we read the Word to come and pray? 
right? Is it just tradition? Well, we're from a tradition of people that historically, after the preaching was done, they come to the altar, you sing emotional music, and people cry. You can have tradition. I don't want tradition. The reason we do it is so that we have an opportunity to deal with God over what we just heard. Amen? To say that the Word of God has revealed weakness in me and I need to go to the One who is able to sympathize with my weaknesses and come to Him for grace. And so if you've let the Word of God read you, if you've been in the Word of God and you've studied it and you've read the Word, but now the Word has read you and it has exposed things in your heart and in your life, come to Jesus, your great High Priest, and find mercy and receive grace to help in time of need. Amen. Brother Renee, could we have a few moments of worship? A few moments to seek the Lord? Because it is this weakness, right? It is this weakness that we have. When it says that He is able to sympathize with our weakness or our infirmities, the word can mean sickness or weakness or wounds or hurts. Lord, I'm infirmed. I'm weak. I have things that are broken. And I need it to be healed. I need you to be able to sympathize with my weakness. Amen? Because that's the lie. That's the lie that we have to understand is not true. That God is not mean. God is not seeing your weakness and going, I can't believe you're weak. And therefore, I hate you and I just despise you and I want to throw you away. God has taken your weakness into consideration. God is gentle and careful with your weakness. But don't allow your weakness to be your excuse. Come to Jesus with your weakness. Amen? Come to Jesus with your weakness. Come to Jesus with your infirmity and say, I am weak. I am infirmed. I am unable. I am struggling to obey God. I am struggling to trust God. There are things in me that make it difficult for me to be who God has called me to be. But rather than staying here in disobedience and unbelief, saying, I just will never be able to walk with God. I'll never be able to be who God's called me to be. I'll never be able to deal with that besetting sin in my life. You go to Jesus and you say, Lord, here's this weakness. And I'm just going to confess it to you. I'm just going to acknowledge it before you. And I'm going to tell you, Lord, I am utterly weak. I am unable. But he says, let us hold fast our confession. Because we both confess our sin and our weakness, but we also confess his power and his lordship and his authority. Amen? And so that's a good confession. Amen? That's our good confession. Alright? I've got an honest confession that isn't so good. I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm broken. But the good confession is you're not. You're able. You love me. You're patient with me. And so tonight I bid you that you would ask the Lord to deal with your heart. To discern you. To read you. To know you. And that you would come to Him and you would confess that weakness. Confess whatever it is that would keep you from the promises of God. But confess Jesus. Let your confession of Jesus be greater than your confession of your weakness. 
Lord, I believe that your greatness is able to over, overpower my discouragement, my temptation, my weariness, my tiredness, my sin, my pride, my vanity. Whatever it is that would keep me from being what you've called me to be. So I ask you tonight that you would come to Jesus. Bring your need before the one to whom you must give an account. Lord, we ask you to have your way in us tonight. Be gracious toward us. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be the people that have entered into your rest. To be the people that have lived in the abundant promises of the Lord. To be the people who have said, I see the giants in the land, but I will go in still. Who will be the people that say every promise in the Word of God is mine and I will have it. Who say, Lord, I want to be who you've called me to be. We ask you to have your way in us. Let all excuses be banished in the name of Jesus. Because you are greater than our weakness. Have your way in us tonight. Minister to us, Lord, in your name. Seek the Lord's sakes.